Podcast. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. I'm the editor of Premier Christianity magazine. That's the UK's leading Christian publication. And if you would like a free sample copy of our latest issue, you can head to premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Simply type your address in and we will send you a free print copy of the latest edition of the magazine. But today, here on The Profile, available as a podcast and also on Premier Christian Radio, it's the show where we delve into a person's life, faith and testimony. And I'm delighted to say that my guest today is the radio DJ, actor and TV presenter Otis Dealey. Otis hosts Channel 5's The Gadget Show and was previously a presenter of a host of CBBC shows including Exchange, Shortchange and Live and Kicking. He's also a self-confessed geek with a huge comic collection and occasional actor having starred in The Bill, Silent Witness and the cult film Kid Althood. Otis is also patron of First Touch, a charity supporting babies, families and staff on the neonatal unit at St George's Hospital here in London. Otis, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. As a presenter of The Gadget Show, do you often get stopped in the street and asked, can you fix my phone? That's stopped now. Uh, I've been part of the show for nearly 10 years. Uh, but once upon a time, uh, a lot of people would ask, you know, how how do you fix this or what's wrong with my device kind of thing. Now it's more, um, I'm going abroad, would really like a compact camera that can do X, Y and Z. Do you have any recommendations? Really? Yeah. That's really interesting. And it's weird with, with tech because it, they're like, clothes it's not a case of one size fits all you know what works for me or other members of the show won't necessarily work for you know everybody else you know as someone who has a platform to share their opinion I think it's it's always quite key to say this is just my opinion I'm not speaking on behalf of everybody in tech I'm not speaking about on behalf of every Londoner I'm not speaking on behalf of you know every black man it's It, these are my thoughts and yeah. these are my experiences. Yeah, sure. Um, I was going to ask, actually, do you... Because I'm someone who remembers you from CBBC, so I'm a big fan and I have many fond memories of those shows I just reeled off, as I guess almost every millennial uh, does. People in their 20s can remember those CBBC shows you used to front. Do you get recognised for, for those as much as you get recognised for more of your most recent TV work? I think it's it's a pretty even spread i think i was watched by more millennials when i was doing the job then than i do people who watch uh, some of the shows i do now um you have to remember that when i started in television there wasn't that much choice yes <laughs> uh, in terms of what you could watch now we're, we're beyond spoilt yes. for choice yeah. you know we have umpteen channels then we have live streaming services we have uh, video on demand you know there's there's so much now um, so at any given time, my audience is, is uh, you know, a fraction of, of what it was once yeah. upon a time. I said at the beginning, you have a huge comic collection. Am I right in thinking it's approaching 10,000? Yeah, yeah, it was once upon a time. Uh, what I've had to do is uh, go digital. Ah. So I only collect two titles now physically okay um but i've got i've got around eight thousand wow. uh, in lockup somewhere wow. they had to leave the house because i had children is that i was going to say what was the decision to go digital was it was it having this kids? this room is being converted <laughs> into a nursery that's what i was told that's what you were told that's i was going to say was it told, sounds like so you were yeah. told that rather <laughs> yeah. than you made that decision yeah. was that your yeah. wife by any chance so they had to shift them yeah 
yeah. <laughs> you had to give it up. Um, so what technology are you most excited about? As, as we head into 2020, as we look into next year, 2020 is this huge uh, huge year, isn't it? You think, I can remember for a long time now people saying, well, by 2020, such and such will yeah. happen. And all, all of a sudden, 2020 is more or less upon us. So what's on the horizon you're excited about? I think uh, we'll see a lot more... Um, we'll see a lot more stuff to do with 5G. Now, the thing with the thing with 5G is no one really knows the doors that it will open in terms of uh, businesses, changes in behavior, um, and, and what we can do with it. Mm. An example um, I want to share is um, if you look at Uber, if you look at apps like Just Eat, I'm talking about those things that allow us to order stuff yeah. um, on, on the move. Before 4G, no one no one said, this is what we'll be doing. You know, 30 years ago, they thought we'd be in flying cars and, and whatnot by, by this time. But every five or 10 years, something happens which changes um, our direction yeah. in terms of um technology and it its kind of unlocks, on society. unlocks other things we didn't even imagine exactly so exactly what that. is 5g going mm. to unlock that we so imagine? already sort of earmarked 5g will open up mobile gaming for example um will increase uh the quality at which we can stream our content will enable things like uh, uh self-driving cars um, that's what we know mm. it will allow us to do in the, in the next 10, 15 years. Um, but there's also stuff we, we don't know. You know, how is it going to affect um, our day-to-day -day movement? How is it going to affect how we engage with each other mm. or engage with uh, our favourite books, our stories, um, you know, and it, we just don't know those things yet. Mm. But what I am excited about is um, what 5G could bring um so yeah we'll have to wait we and will see. have to wait and see what does the average day look like for you at the moment is there an average day not really i'm freelance so uh, there is no set day or days in my week where i'm working um so i might be I might only do a gadget show shoot one day in the week or I might be abroad with gadget show and I'll be shooting every day of the week. I could be hosting an award ceremony or um, a tech festival in the, in the daytime or I'm at home yeah. with, with my family. It, it really, it, there's no predicting it. <laughs> when you were younger, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do when you grew up? Would yes. It, would it be TV presenting no. what you're doing now? No, uh, I. If you ask my parents, at one stage I wanted to be a, a, a policeman. Um, another point, uh, I wanted to be a, a doctor. Then, as I got older, I became fascinated with science and technology. Chemical engineering was on the cards for a little while. Um, my parents wanted me to be a doctor. Not a hope. Um, I wasn't <laughs> comfortable with. Uh, wasn't comfortable with the dead, to be fair. Um, but I was still fascinated by uh, medicine and the effect of um, certain substances on our our bodies, our, our tissue, um, and indeed on our, our brains. So I studied pharmacy and uh, wore, had every intention of going into pharmaceutical research. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, being part of the team or perhaps at the forefront of you know new and huge developments in medicine mm. uh, but you know life life had a something uh, yeah happened. had something we'll else come, in, we'll come on to the turning point in that in a minute but um here on the profile we like to go back to the beginning of a person's life find out about childhood understand you grew up in london so yeah what was that like uh born and raised in london um i grew up or we we moved around a fair bit uh, i have strong memories of uh, and some positive ones, actually, growing up on an estate in Elephant and Castle uh, for a few years. And from Elephant and Castle, we moved to uh, Tooting. Uh, we moved into a house uh, in Tooting, so we lived on a street and there was a park opposite. Um, and I can remember scuffing my knees, um, climbing, uh, climbing frames, garages, buildings, <laughs> um, uh, falling out with friends. Uh, and uh, making new friends, uh, cycling. I used to ride my little bikes everywhere, um, sometimes too far. Um, <laughs> How far recall, did you get? <laughs> uh, re- reasonably far, probably probably got about five, you know, as a seven, eight, nine-year-old, five miles away from home yeah, yeah. On, on the bike. Um, dislocating my wrist, age 10. Again, further away from home than I should have been. <laughs> So you like to be out and about. Um, yeah. Tell me about yeah. your parents. My parents are, um, my mum is Ghanaian. My dad is Ghanaian, Nigerian. Uh, they came over to London in 72, having tried to live in um, Munich, I believe, for a little while. Right. Um, didn't feel entirely comfortable there. So it was suggested to them that they come over to the UK uh dad was uh studying to be an accountant mum was working for a packaging company and uh i happened a year later so earlier than planned if planned at all <laughs> um and so my dad then started working for royal mail um i can remember growing up uh in a, a safe and happy home yeah. uh surrounded by my parents friends um the extended family mm. i know you um you said before you were raised catholic so what was your so it was it was a christian household yeah. my dad was raised uh baptist my oh, mum right. was raised catholic right um okay. and their sort of middle ground was um catholic church and uh Methodist church growing up I can remember attending both types of right. church with my parents as as I was growing up oh wow what ages was that uh young ages so earliest was probably from about five five or six up until around 11. Mm. what was your experience of God as a as a child um that he was there and could do good stuff as a child, that was pretty much that was pretty much it. Um, this person uh, that we would sing to and talk to in in prayer. Mm. Did you find yourself kind of warming to, I guess, either expression of of Christianity? It's quite can be quite different Methodist and Catholic. Yeah, churches. as uh, as a as a child, uh, I looked forward uh, on Sunday to meeting up with my friends in Sunday school. Um, so I will confess to not having felt impacted at all by um uh, in 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 any real religious sense as a child mm. 
and how things changed since then in terms of faith and belief? And um, so I, I don't attend church. I um, am still, I still feel tied to the values um, and beliefs that were instilled via church um, as, as a child growing up. Mm. I do my best to be good to all and mind my temper. Um, I try my best not to judge those who are different to me. And by different, I mean uh, different color skin, different uh, religious belief, different uh, way of doing things. Mm. I try to work my way through life because I think that's what it is. We're working our way through life. Um, being as positive as possible and mm. concentrating on trying to raise two well-rounded yeah. um stable individuals in in my children so for i guess for your kids it's, it's quite different to your own upbringing because obviously in your upbringing you went to church and there was a, a kind of mum and dad who identified a catholic and methodist do you kind of identify with any labels in that way or? i would identify if if i had to identify um myself you i i guess i am a christian um i believe in uh in a higher power that we don't fully understand mm um what shape um that power is i don't know yeah my wife feels the same and mm. she was raised in a jewish oh, household really? right. so already we have a uh a, a clash at worst or a merging of um two different cultures mm. um and that's why for us it works best to explain to our children where each of their parents are from give them as much information as we can um, so that they can then make decisions. Mm. If they chose to follow a particular faith, um, we would like to be able to understand why they were doing that, but mm. wouldn't stand in their way. Yeah. Tell me more about what those values were that you inherited <clears throat> in family and what those values are that you're then passing on to your kids. Uh, family is um, key. Um, that the members of your family are those that you can trust. Mm. Um, you will meet people on your journey through life who you can trust as well. Um, but your your brother, your mum, your dad, your uncle, your grandparents, your cousins, you know, your immediate family, um, they're the ones who you will seek uh, immediate strength from. Um, never forget that. So don't smack her when she snatches a toy from you. This is your cousin. You share the toys. Uh, make time for members of your family as well. Mm. Um, you won't know if they are struggling at all, if they don't feel comfortable enough to share that mm. with you. Um, so uh, family is, is top. And also um, a belief system, um, something that allows you to it's something that you can draw strength from and something that allows you to be as good a person as possible mm. um a lot of people find that strength yeah. in in uh, a religious belief um and if my children tell us that that's where they want to go then so be yeah. it have you ever doubted 
that that presence or God or higher power exists? Have there been moments where you think, actually, you know what, I think the atheist might have a point here. Maybe God isn't there after all. Yes. Yes. Um, there's a lot going on that contradicts my knowledge. Now, and my knowledge isn't deep. So I guess it's easy easier to be swayed um, or to have doubts if your conviction isn't... Um, deeply entrenched um and it's the obvious ones you know the, uh, the wars the famines mm. the taking of uh uh good people or young people um when um when negative things ha have no rhyme or reason mm. um that's when that's when the questions yeah. come in yeah um and i think i've been around on this planet long enough to know that um as a human being we're mm -hmm. we're fallible uh, yeah. and we are not 100 percent positive mm -hmm. all the time yeah. there are times when we are weak and we need family mm -hmm. and or faith to help yeah. raise us up or bolster our strength or to reinvigorate us it's been fascinating doing these interviews and I, I ask that question of everyone who sits in that chair of had there been moments of doubt and it doesn't matter whether they're church leader or evangelist whether they work in pop music whether they work in entertainment whether they're a sports star whether they're the archbishop of canterbury almost everyone says yeah i have doubts yeah. and yeah some days it just doesn't make sense i think it's really important to to acknowledge that and to be able to acknowledge that um I think an unwavering, actually you can still have a, 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 an unshakable belief, um, but uh, I, I, I don't know who it is I'm quoting, but um, to err uh, is to be human. We are not perfect. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, there are gonna be yeah. times when we feel undermined, when we feel weak, when we feel doubtful um, and, um, you know, only a strong belief in uh, in, a, in a higher power or um, soldiers, other soldiers, members of the family, warriors by your side can help keep you from, you know, falling too far or straying too far from the path. It's interesting talking about how church isn't, isn't part of your life at the, at the moment. Sometimes people say church doesn't work for me for whatever reason, but they connect with God in other ways, whether they have spiritual practices like prayer, um, or even just times of solitude um, or fasting. It could be anything. Yeah. Are there things like that that you connect with Med God more over? Uh, meditation. Um, so I, I don't specifically um, uh, meditate to connect with God, um, but I do meditate to bring uh, peace within, uh, a calm, and to connect with uh, the universe um, and something or perhaps someone out there and that does bring me peace um it does it does calm me down i mm. get quite stressed out sometimes through through work mm. and for me it's the not knowing yeah you know uh where the next contract is or you know yeah. am i working next tuesday or not because i've got another engagement that you know is quite important to me but i'm promised to this organization first you know um it can get quite stressful yeah. so meditation works when, me. when the big questions of life do arise you know why am i here what's gonna happen when i'm die when i die are there particular places or people you go to with that uh i do have uh, a, a friend who i talk to uh about those things 
why I'm here, I believe I'm here to entertain, inform and to put a smile on people's faces. That's that's why I'm here. Um, and and now to um, raise raise a family. Mm. Um, and then a, a, about death, I used to be scared of talking about it. Um, it's inevitable. Um, I think a lot of the fear comes from not knowing what's on the other side. Um, it's a waste of energy to fear the unknown, fear what you know can, you know, hurt you, damage you, uh, and then use that fear in a way to, mm. um, you know, make make you stronger. Um, what's on the other side? I I don't know. Uh, I I may very well be part of that swell of people who become more curious and more religious as they get older. Um, I've seen it happen a lot around mm. me. Really? Um, you know, and and I guess it's a way of trying to make sense of. Well, so some people say actually, when they have kids, that that can sometimes for some people make them ask those questions again, mm -hmm. or can be almost quite a spiritual experience. I don't know if that was your case when when you. No, uh, I I had I had a friend. Uh, it became marked for me when um, I had a friend who all of a sudden became very very frightened of um, flight um, after she had her children. Mm. Um, and everyone around her thought it was irrational and you know made such judgments um and then it occurred to me to just ask her why is it you think you're afraid of flying well who will look after my babies mm. she said flying you relinquish control of your journey to yeah. somebody else you're not flying that plane someone else is you don't know who's flying that plane you've never met them before you've not had a drink with them you've not broken bread with them sat next to them in church you know nothing about them and you're being asked to trust them you're making 100%. me afraid of flying Otis I was <laughs> fine before this conversation but this, this was this was her reason sure, yeah. uh, and that makes complete sense yeah. to me yeah yeah um, so uh, did I I think I haven't questioned my purpose since the birth of my children, but I do question what planet um, they'll inherit from us when they when they grow up. You know, we keep you know the the children are our future, and they're meant to be better versions of us. If that's the case, why do we still appear to be heading in the wrong direction? Which wrong direction is that? Uh, planet planet uh destruction um the wars still fought same or similar wars that have been fought for for decades um and then uh in the west that sort of threat of something big and cataclysmic cataclysmic about to happen mm. um you know they they're all there as much as they they ever were you know mm. when i talk to parents from the older generation the fears are somewhat similar you yeah. know yeah. Let's uh, chat a bit about your career. I understand your big break into the world of TV actually came when you were a contestant on the TV show Blind Date. Yes. Tell I, me more about that. I owe it all to uh, Black. Uh, may she rest in power. I, um, I was at university at the time um, and towards the end of my second year, we started seeing posters around university saying that uh, London Weekend Television, the production company behind Blind Date, were in town um, auditioning for, for Blind Date. And uh, me and a bunch of my uh, fellow students, friends of mine, thought it might be a laugh to, you know, 
uh, go on the show. Have well, have the interview to okay. start with, and uh, we did. It was a fun afternoon, and um, they got in touch a couple of months later asking if I'd like to take part in the next round of interviews. Um, I was studying in Sunderland, and the next round of interviews were in Edinburgh. I'd never been to Scotland uh, before, so figured, you know, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> um, I did that round of interviews, and then a couple of months after that, actually, I was given a phone call on my twenty-first birthday. So I was doing nothing for my uh, for my twenty-first birthday. I was at home with my mum and dad, just chilling, not doing anything. The phone rang, uh, and they said, "You've made it onto the show." You'll be recording your um, first episode on the 4th of July. Um, do you still want to do it? So I said, yeah, yeah, it might be fun. Um, and that's all I went in thinking, you know, that it, it, it might be fun. Um, who knows where I'll end up. If I'm lucky, I might get a snog. <laughs> and um, I went on the show very nervous, actually. Uh, and those that know me were like, we didn't even recognize the guy that was on. I was the picker. So I uh, was asking all the questions, uh, my own questions, uh, incidentally. And um, I ended up going with uh, a girl called Sherry to Seattle in the States. Five days we were out there for. Um, that's a long way to go for five days long way to that's go quite for five the jet days. lag on the way back didn't feel any of it uh, <laughs> I was just so excited this yeah, was a yeah. this was a very different um, experience mm. for me and um, I felt very comfortable uh, with these strangers and their contraptions and stuff and it showed and when I returned to um the show to talk about the date mm -hmm. being on that sofa with with my mate Scylla and the audience just felt like the most natural and comfortable thing in the world and and I think channel heads and producers and whatever who, who saw that saw that right um they saw that you were comfortable on yeah, TV, basically yeah and so I was asked to do a, I was invited to a whole bunch of screen tests and auditions and readings and castings which was very difficult while I was in my final year at uni. I came down and did a couple um, and then wound up working for a small cable and satellite channel, TCC, which then became trouble. My course leaders weren't happy that I was doing two things. Right. They said, you know, it, it really should be one or the mm. other. So I worked part time during my final year to get my degree. What I didn't want to do was drop out. There was no telling how long TV might last or if it would ever take off. Completed my degree and then thought, okay, that degree is safe. No one can take it away from me. It's in my back pocket for, you know, five years before I have to refresh it. Let's see what happens in television. And, you know, 25 years later, I'm still, Rest <laughs> I'm still here. So. You're listening to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. You can hear the rest of my conversation with Otis Dealey right after this. Join me, Justin Briley, for a new season of The Big Conversation with world-class thinkers, including Sir Roger Penrose and William Lane Craig on God and the Universe, Bart Ehrman and Peter J. Williams on Jesus and the Gospels. Join the conversation as we explore life's biggest questions at thebigconversation.show.
Do you want to stay informed on the best of what's happening in the UK church today? Premier Christianity magazine is for you. The UK's leading Christian magazine is published every month and features interviews with Christian leaders, in-depth reporting, reviews, columnists and loads more. And best of all, you can try it for free. Head to our website now to request the latest edition worth £5.95, completely free of charge. Visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. A very good afternoon to you and welcome back to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. The Profile is brought to you in association with Premier Christianity magazine. That's the magazine that I edit. And if you would like a free copy, we will send you one. Simply go to premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. And at that link, you can request a free copy of the UK's leading Christian magazine. Why not do that now? premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. But now on the profile, time to rejoin my conversation with the TV presenter Otis Dealey. Otis is well known, of course, for his roles in children's TV and more recently for presenting The Gadget Show on Channel 5. Time to rejoin our conversation where I asked him his memories of presenting children's TV. Do you have fond memories of those days? Absolutely. Um, I say uh, with, you know, with great pride, actually, that those were days where... um, all I had to do was remember the the, the relevant information, the the, the takeaway, the empowering um, words about how to deal with X, Y, and Z in a certain situation. Outside of that, Otis, you do it your way and right. have fun with it. Yeah. So it was it was honest. It was clean. Um, it was a safe environment for for children. Um, and it was fun. So yeah, 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 I have I have very fond memories of of my early years at the BBC. Mm. Uh, even more fond, uh, even fonder memories of my time immediately before that at um, Trouble because we were pioneering. Um, there wasn't a rule book that we adhered to. Uh, we all just did our own thing, and Trouble became a real force. Um, among uh, teenagers yeah. um, between '96 and and 2003, yeah. uh, and I'm you know really really happy that I was a part of that. Yeah, a huge huge part of your career, as you say, it was in children's television across those different programs and and channels. Did there come a point where you deliberately wanted to make a move away from that? Yes, absolutely. And was that was that because you thought I can't do kids TV forever? My thing was um, it it was partly a case of not wanting to. And two, I felt how long will young children believe me? Um, You know, while I've got a full head of hair and (laughs) all the energy that goes with it, I could still be considered as a a cool older brother. But I had an issue with staying too long um, and having kids feel well, I don't want to watch what he does anymore, irrespective of how important the programming was, because I don't believe in him. I don't believe him. Um, And I wanted to move into mainstream television. But it took five years from making the decision to actually landing a position outside of and what um, was that first television. position uh gadget show gadget show yeah. straight into gadget yeah. show yeah well straight in you say i mean it, it took a while how was that adjustment what were the things that you had to learn in going from one to the other 
I would like to believe that I didn't have to learn anything. So, you know, all my adult life, I've spoken to adults. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I when the camera stopped rolling, um, I didn't... Uh, I, I didn't then hang out with kids because those were the only uh, yes. <laughs> individuals I was able to sure. talk to. And in fact, when I was broadcasting, I never looked at the audience as children. They were other human beings. Um, and so I didn't speak grown up, but I also didn't speak childish or, or down to, to children. So I actually believe it was more about me converting those people I was working mm -hmm. with I had a lot of, um, you know, when you do your bit to camera, don't do it kiddie. Um, you know, you're, you're talking to adults. And then to me, it's like, well, you're talking to me and I've got this job because of what I've done. Um, so let me do it as me. Um, and as long as I get the words right and you understand what it is I'm saying, let's yeah. call that a, a victory so you saying, are you saying people were that. nervous about you coming in yeah i thought I th you you'd be too kiddie for yes. one of a better term yes but actually yeah that was never going to be an issue it was never going to be an issue i don't know if you saw recently amal rajan from the bbc did a documentary called how to break into the elite and uh it was a very interesting show really making the case that in certain professions including our profession media in media it's often a case of who you know rather than what you know and um, really the argument that it can be dominated by the middle and upper classes in media. And if you're from a, a working class background, it could be hard to break into the media. Do you think that's true? Yes, uh, I think that's true across um, uh, large uh, corporations and, um, and social sets. When you mix with... Um, people whose mindset is success that rubs off on you um, when you mix with people who have access um, you become part of that um, if you don't have access to those things or those people it becomes not impossible but more difficult mm. and the um, upper echelons have a way of protecting what's theirs and letting very few new people mm. in unless they are family. Um, it sounds like you might be slightly talking from experience on some of this. I have friends who are great presenters. Some of them have done really, really well and some haven't. Right. There is no real distinction between their skill set and how good they are. But one may network incredibly well mm. and just happens to be in the right place yeah. at the right time and has left an impression on the minds of the right people to call them when they need someone to host their show. Um, and I think that is a hugely contributing factor. Mm. It's not the only one, but it is a hugely contributing factor. I used to believe that good work begats good work or we got good what work kids are told in school so yeah. i was taught work hard and it'll work out it's it's not it's not true it's i wouldn't say it's not true um uh it it is not the full picture um there is uh there can be uh a lot of shoulder rubbing um ego massaging mm. uh to be done uh on the route there's there's nothing to say that 
you can't do it your way um if if that's how you're wired and that's what you want to do um but i think it's important to be aware that there are other ways and there are lots of people out there who aren't great at their job uh but because they know the right people they are in that job Mm -hmm. and they're not going anywhere so how does that work out for you because obviously you say you're freelance and you've got some fantastic places you're working at the moment but time might come to move on you might be looking at the next thing do you feel like you then have to play that game of the kind of networking and the shoulder rubbing and building up the contacts in order to progress in your career i don't really like playing that game so when it comes to it i might be in a bit of trouble um i would like to think that when the opportunity comes to move on i can show a body of work that is you know 25 years long um and deep and engage with uh similar minded people to make it make it happen there are a couple of things that i'm involved in at the moment which are um which only me and my uh partners control right um and yes there is some networking but it's a more pleasant way of networking Mm. with people who have similar beliefs um and 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 similar ideas Mm. to you you were once asked uh, what was the hardest lesson that you'd had to learn in your career and you said that continuing to fly by the seat of your pants and winging it will end up biting you on the bum Mm -hmm. which is a great answer but what made you say that the the the, um, the event um, I landed a job working for um, one of the big five um, being a one of the big five channels so. big five channels yeah. yes sorry big five channels here in the UK um, hosting uh, some athletics coverage um, I was ill prepared as was the production company um, and that showed live on air I uh, lost a job lost a position and um subsequently was out of television for two years couldn't um (laughs) all the all the networking skills in the world um weren't going to save me uh i sort of became um i believe uh toxic so no production companies wanted anything to do with me no channels wanted me to host anything on their shows and i had to sit it out for two years which was definitely a career low point was almost a personal low point as well but I had too many good people around me to let that happen and also I I do think there is there is an inner strength that I have somewhere that allowed me to rebuild um, and not let all the bad stuff that was happening um, get me down too much. What did you do for the two years? Uh, I spent the first year quite bitter as I watched the the fruits of my career sort of dwindle, um, being invited to less things, being asked to host fewer engagements. After a year, I figured there was probably no way back into television. So I started about reinventing myself. I became a personal trainer and was all set to launch new projects around keeping people mentally and physically fit. And then television reached an olive branch Hmm. back out. So I gingerly re-entered the frame. And what was that olive branch? It was Gadget Show again. So I was dropped from Gadget Show during that um, two year period. 
And then um, I like to think they realized the error of their ways <laughs> as their audience figures fell through the well, floor. I mean, the, the athletics <clears throat> thing that you were hosting, that was a live uh, studio environment. But you have to remember that I came up on a live studio True. environment. Live True. and kicking was but my, three my, hours my, my theory live. being I'm trying to I'm trying to be <laughs> trying to fight it. your de- your defense <laughs> trying to defend your hero Otis. You know, that that was a that was a live studio environment. You had probably someone in your ear. When I've seen you on the gadget show, it seems like it's more of a often more of a pre recorded environment. Oh, it is. It is a completely pre recorded So you could have said to them, Hey, I can still do gadget show. I'm sorry I messed up on the athletics, but that was a completely different environment. Yeah, I mean well, Pride uh, takes um almost center stage there uh i wasn't going to ask right anybody for um my job back i wasn't going to beg either uh and i was going through um i was looking at bankruptcy uh i was looking at losing the family home there were other things that were (laughs) that felt more important than asking for my job back sounds weird saying it out loud because obviously having the job back would have helped combat some of those other things but uh bitterness was the and anger were the strongest emotions at at that point um and i wanted very little to do with those i had worked with previously Mm. it's a really tough time Mm. I was going to ask you what's been the best day of your career and what's what's been the worst day, but I might have already found out what the worst That's, day was. That was definitely the worst day. Uh, best days, I think, and uh, best experiences uh, would be the, the only way to answer that, that question. What immediately springs to mind, I did a show called T-Spot on Trouble, uh, which was just wild anarchic fun it was a live show uh (laughs) half an hour every day half an hour live magazine show which i hosted with three other presenters uh, who i'm still very much in touch with it was it was just great fun great 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 fun live and kicking similarly was great fun live not as anarchic uh a bit safer for for the BBC audience, <laughs> I met everyone and anyone who was a huge star at the turn of yeah, the century. Yeah, uh, Will Smith, uh, Jennifer Lopez. I mean, some of them are still doing things. Uh, Beyonce. Um, and were they all the real deal at the time? Uh, who knows? That's a very you know, diplomatic answer. Who who, who knows? Uh, and well, then, sometimes you hear these stories, don't you, about people who meet celebrities, and sometimes it's like that person, nicest person in the world, yeah. what a genuine character. Yeah. And sometimes you hear the horror stories as well, don't you? Yeah, I guess it depends on the it depends on the circumstance in which you meet them. You know, a, a lot of these stars I met on junkets, so they're having interviewer after interviewer yeah. after interviewer wheeled in to For talk like five to them. minutes yeah. each isn't it yeah. and i think you know there must be an element of autopilot and probably being asked the same question i mean yeah. i often think this as a journalist when i go into those sorts of scenarios i think i don't just ask the same question this poor it person's heard it's important 20 to me times as well over today. yeah important to me just to try and get a little something different from them um and then uh gadget show live another uh positive uh ex- experience yeah. so i think from each decade mm. um i can take one or two things I, apart from the two years i wasn't working i think my i think my television experience has actually been quite gifted i mm. haven't 
there have been no real personality clashes with any co-presenters or I haven't worked with any really awful directors and people. It's been it's been quite a blessed 20 mm. plus years. I'd love to kind of marry up two parts of your career and ask some questions. So I'd love to kind of ask about uh, using your knowledge and your experience of working with young people. I'd love to ask some questions about that and also bring in the gadget show experience of all things technology because mm. I know some people look at the world today and they look at tech and they look at kids and they'd have some pretty major concerns. It's interesting actually that, uh, that here at Premier have another magazine, Youth and Children's Work magazine, and they printed a very bold front cover about a year or so ago. And this magazine goes to youth leaders, goes to people who work with children, goes to parents, goes to anyone working with families. On the front cover of the magazine, they just put the words, your children are watching porn. Yeah. And so this is where these two parts of your career come together. You know a lot about tech. You know, you know a lot about young people. Do you share those sorts of concerns about what are my kids looking at on their iPad, on their iPhone? Currently, no, because um, it's easy to police what my three and a half year old um, watches. Uh, and we police that by not giving her access to an iPad unless it's supervised. Um, and she only gets access to the iPad when we're on holiday um, and we've loaded up what she can access. When I was growing up, we had access to porn, but it was in paper form. Um, it's not the same, though. What children have access to nowadays is worse. Yeah. Um, so as a parent, I know that that will be a worry down the line. What do you do? What can I do as a parent to try and offset that or limit its uh, influence and impact is engage with my children now. While I am the primary, their primary source of everything in mm -hmm. their universe. Um show them that there, are, that there are so many wonderful things to be curious about. You can't police your kids all the time. No. You can't. You know, I know that as, uh, I know that as someone who was a kid and was able to, you know, um, avoid my parents' gaze. Mm -hmm. um, uh, just, I guess, for me, it's letting my children know that there is more out there than what is accessible on their device. Whether it be romping through the forests and looking at bugs and, uh, and, and, and God's creatures, or trampolining, or riding your bicycle, or playing with friends physically, <laughs> you know, running around, yeah. um, falling over and laughing so yeah. hard until it hurts. Yeah as a you know as a generally yes. well-rounded individual you know that nothing matches that yeah it's funny i've I've got a friend of mine who um uh just know, knows everything there is to know it seems about technology i'm sure he wouldn't say that but from my standpoint this guy's an expert and um he says people often assume that because he's so into his technology he must just be on his tech all the time he says the opposite is true he mm. says he knows the importance of switching off i know you've spoken about this yeah. in your own life and you mentioned it with your kids as well there's a whole world out there yeah. and just because you work on the gadget show it doesn't mean that you're all so obsessed by technology yeah. that you forget there's a whole other world out there. i mean it's it, it's Technology is there to help make life easier or increase uh, leisure enjoyment when you want it to. 
at the end of the day, and this can be a difficult thing to remember, right? You know, I, I, I do take stock of that. At the end of the day, all of these devices have an off switch. Mm. Um, and there are a myriad ways to control what, uh, what you're exposed to. Mm. Um, switching off is is very important limiting access is very important. it's fascinating that some of the big tech companies have started to understand this so on my phone and you couldn't do this until fairly recently on my phone you can set a time limit so i can't actually go into any apps after say 10 p.m yep. or actually on a sunday i say i don't want to go into any of my apps unless it's i don't know the news or the weather or something yep. and you think it's fascinating that tech companies now building the ability into the phones to help you to use it less yeah well because it's ethically correct isn't it and i think um one thing we've seen from the growth of a lot of these tech companies is the way they engage with their um, customer base and their staff. You know, uh, 20 years ago, 20, 30 years ago, to go to work and know that there was a fireman's pole and a slide and brightly coloured furniture and uh, 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 bean bags and stuff in the office was unheard of flexi time working from home all of these things were were unheard of uh and i think they these companies recognize the importance of um cracking a whip over people and getting them to work 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 until they can't work anymore versus um uh providing an environment where productivity is is optimized you know you do that at work offer that experience in in life as well mm. nobody's any good to anybody if all they're doing is yeah. is looking at a screen so what would be your advice to people who perhaps work as youth leaders people who work as children's leaders in their church i mean things have changed and the world has changed hasn't it since you were doing cbbc i, mm. I can i completely admit that but nevertheless i imagine you've got some tips or some uh, words of wisdom for christians today who are working with young people um my advice uh my advice would be that technology technology is there to be used well it's there to be used it can be weaponized um or it can be used for uh good knowing that balance is where the challenge lies um and it's going to be different for each child or each group of children uh and i think as a as a youth leader and as as parents it's it's up to you to know the individuals that you're working with and be able to best balance the involvement of technology uh in there we all know that if you ban something outright mm -hmm. young minds will find another way mm -hmm. because they are there is more ingenuity and more untapped um, capability in those minds and those fingers and, and those young desires than we could challenge. Um, so figure out ways, figuring out ways to work um, intelligently with technology is, is the challenge. Yeah. Um, now you didn't meet your wife on blind date. I did not. So how did you meet her? Randomly. Um, I'd just come out of a very disappointing cinema experience <laughs> with a very good friend of mine. Um, late one, f I think it was a Monday night. 
and uh, we've just actually celebrated knowing each other for 20 years. Oh, amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. And uh, so you might be able to gauge uh, what the disappointing movie was. Oh, goodness. Uh, 20 years ago. And um, uh, Rachel was waiting to meet a friend uh, a couple of buildings down from the cinema. And uh, our eyes met. You know, and uh, we, we struck up a friendship. Uh, not for me, it wasn't. <laughs> um, we we struck up a friendship uh, and a relationship that lasted uh, a short while, about uh, eight or nine months. We parted company on decent terms. Uh, and then six years later, when she was living in Australia, um, we, or while she was living in Australia, we met up here for a drink um, and it worked out for both of us this time instead of just one. Um, so she moved back and we've been, you know, building our relationship and our family ever since. Amazing. How, how have you found uh, kind of family life and as you say, build, building a family whilst also having um, having your name out there in public and having people write about you? And I, I'm thinking particularly, I guess, of the difficult experience you had when you were presenting and, and things went wrong. I mean, that can't have been easy to handle. No, fortunately for me, I didn't have... Uh, children at the time um but it's there it's yeah. digital it's stored if ever they want to access it and ask me questions about it um i think th there are no images of them on um social media or and that's or very deliberate like on that. your part. that's very deliberate yeah. on on my part uh, or no images of their of their faces my wife has perfected the technique of uh letting people know what they are up to um, but you only ever see the back of their head or, you know, a, a sort of skew profile. Um, because I believe even though they're, well, I, I believe they're too young to give consent. And obviously as, as the responsible adult, you give mm -hmm. consent. Um, but when they're ready, if social media is still a thing um, and they want to share pictures, by all means they can. Mm -hmm. um, but I've always kept my family private mm. from what I do for mm. fear of um, you know media taking a liberty or two too far mm. um, you know I'm I'm the only one they really need to worry about in in or concern themselves with mm. in media if my wife was in media as well fine if my kids become child actors fine but that's not the case yeah. so I'm not for sharing what's next for your career what's the next move um, this, uh, I, I have a project with uh, two very good friends of mine, uh, which we call Glassmates. And um, we extol the virtues of becoming drink snobs, basically. Drink snobs. Um, so not downing so much alcohol, you don't know what day of the week it is or recognize your own reflection always, in the mirror. Always good advice. Yeah, it's just, just about becoming more knowledgeable about the, the dram that's in your glass. Uh, uh, so I'm, I'm hoping that more and more people get to see more from Glassmates in the coming coming months and years keep an eye on that one then mm. well Otis it's been an absolute pleasure to chat thanks so much for coming on the show thank you I'm Sam Howes you're listening to Premier Christian Radio I do hope you enjoyed my conversation with Otis Dealey the TV presenter if you want to hear more great interviews like that why not download the profile as a podcast just search for the profile wherever you normally get your podcast from or go to premierchristianradio.com forward slash the profile 
We've got loads more great interviews coming just for you in the next few weeks. So make sure you join us again, same time, same place, for another great conversation. We'll be back next week. Until then, have a great rest of your weekend.